Welcome to this week's edition of the Contact Centre Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Mitchell, and I'm the Features Editor here at Call Centre Helper. In this episode, we'll be looking at the topic of workforce management tricks for busy periods with John Casey, a resource planning expert and favourite of our webinar programme. John, who also works with the Ulster University to help deliver a bachelor's degree in customer contact planning and management, shares lots of helpful advice for managing and preventing unexpected peaks in contact volumes throughout our discussion. We can all cope plus or minus a person, we'll still meet service, we'll still do well. But the second person will start to have an impact, the third person, the fourth, and then suddenly you get to a stage where each subsequent person could be causing you three, four, five, or even more percent on your service level. Customer demand is changing. It's going very different to what we'd have seen 15, 20 years ago. And now we have to match a workforce, especially with Generation Z coming out, baby boomers and things like that, who don't want the 9-5 or the 12-8 or the rigidity. They want to enjoy life and there is a happy medium. Does the company care about me when they're moving my one-to-one for the third time? Well, that probably says, no, they don't really. Because if they move it three times, they're more worried about results and performance, perhaps, than individuals. And could that lead that person to move on? This episode of the Contact Centre podcast is sponsored by Genesis. Genesis is the global leader in omni-channel customer experience and contact center solutions. More than 11,000 companies in over 100 countries trust the Genesis customer experience platform to help them connect effortlessly with consumers across any channel, voice, text, web chat, and social. If you would like to see a demonstration of the Genesis Pure Cloud contact center platform, visit callcenterhelper.com forward slash demo. So when things are really busy, it's important to keep absenteeism to a minimum. But before we work on lowering absenteeism, should we be forecasting it and applying it to our staffing plans? Yes, Charlie, I think the answer to that is absolutely. And I think if we step back and we look at the planning cycle that's often talked about with forecasting, scheduling and reviewing, anything you can measure, you can forecast. So we do have to step back and we need to say, well, A, are there any trends and I mean, this is December, and to be honest, in the last four, six weeks, we've been seeing a lot of bugs in the call centres, particularly over here in Ireland at the moment, and it's really led us to sit back at the client I'm working with and go, well, what's going to happen? Can we predict the sickness? Can we predict where we're going? But I think one thing we often don't look at is the influence we have ourselves on it. I mean, people have traditions and people have times where they like to do things. And often you've got that link between rejected requests and sickness. And that's something you can really step back and have a good look at historically and build in to say that for every 10 holidays we reject, we actually see a a bout of absence, maybe not the same person, but within the workforce. So there's a lot of angles we can take to step back and say, if we can measure something, look at it after time, we can start to see behaviours and start forecasting that. Yeah, I think one of the kind of key reasons why I went straight into absenteeism is that it can so often be the cause for busy periods. And so knowing the tricks of how to handle it uh, 
for resource planners can be very important. So with this in mind, I kind of maybe wanted to talk a little bit about how we can reduce absenteeism as well. And there's a key principle in WFM around the power of one. And I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about this and possibly why advisors should know about it. Well, I think advisors often don't know the impact they can actually have. I mean, you could be sitting as one member of staff in a five, six, seven hundred seat centre and you get up in the morning and you feel a bit croaky, you feel a bit under the weather, perhaps you overindulged the night before and you go, they'll never notice me. But the reality is each person extra who doesn't turn up has a bigger impact on service than the person before them to call in absent. So the first person, absolutely, we can all cope plus or minus a person, we'll still meet service, we'll still do well. But the second person will start to have an impact, the third person, the fourth. And then suddenly you get to a stage where each subsequent person could be causing you three, four, five, or even more percent on your service level because it's the cumulative effect. So I suppose what agents don't often realize is that anonymity that they think they are is just one person within the organization. Because in this day and age where everybody is a cost and there's no money and we have to do everything as low cost as we can, there's probably not much fat built into our staffing plans anymore. So then that one person can really, really make an impact. I don't think agents often realize that. And I suppose it's not just full days off, it's things like breaks and lunches and going late or not going. And we had a case yesterday with the client I'm working for where we're absolutely right staffed, but service level was just inexplicably low. The people we had in should have been enough. And it was little things like going offline to do some callbacks, going offline to perhaps do a bit of processing of post or get letters out to customers. But when three or four people do it at once, that absenteeism can just cause a queue to form. And what a lot of us know from harsh reality is once you get a queue, it's very hard to clear it. It's easier to build a queue than it is to get rid of a queue of customers. And you think it was only me, it only took five minutes or only took 10 minutes. But again, we come back to the cumulative And the power of one maybe isn't the true thing, but it's the power of a few can make a huge difference. Mm. I think it's interesting that you say that, particularly with um, kind of the lateness and staff think, oh, I'm just five minutes late. What harm could that do? But having showing them what it could do, I think, is a really great thing. And to reduce lateness as well, I think scheduling and wider resource planning could be a really great thing. And do you think that the link between employee engagement and staff schedules is often underappreciated? Yeah, I think it absolutely is. And I think if you treat people in such a way that you regulate and you use the stick and you're watching the screens and you're going, actually human behavior repays you with what you deserve with some of that. But when you sit and you explain to people and you show them how queues build up, how customers get answered, the fact that they're not there means certain calls don't get answered. And then the next set of calls then back up behind them. And by the time you work through the customers, other customers are waiting a lot longer. And it becomes like a rolling stone gathering moss, gathering clay as it goes down the hill. And the effect becomes a lot, lot greater. 
Now, one example of a centre I've been recently, they don't schedule breaks. And that can cause you to take a big breath back, going, how do you cope with no breaks? But it's very clear to the staff that they're allowed 30 minutes a day. It will be watched and it would be disciplinary if they go outside that. But if you're a smoker and you want to take four, seven and a half minute breaks, or if you've got something on on a one-off occasion and you want to run a break into your lunch or even leave 15 minutes early, subject to calls being under control, we actually leave that in the hands of the staff. And as soon as we start saying, you decide when you want your tea break, you do what's right for you, we actually see them reacting and sometimes staying longer because it's busy, sometimes going, well, it's quiet, so look, I'll go make tea for everyone and take me a few minutes. And you get different behaviour and I'm becoming a convert. So to go back to what you were saying, Charlie, once people get shown the impact, the impact they have in clearing queues or how easy a queue comes, but also treat them like adults, sometimes it's a big helper for that intraday absence. I think that example with the, the break time there was uh, fascinating. I've never heard of anything like that within the contact center industry before. I think that's often because scheduling can sometimes be viewed as almost almost as if it's a game of Tetris where you kind of design shifts and offer overtime to plug gaps. But should we, in uh, resource planning, be thinking about engagement first and then how we can plug the gaps later? Yeah. And I mean, if I just go back to that example, I think what I've realized is since we don't know how long a customer is going to be with you, and if your average calls gets six minutes, well, five minutes before I take my break, I know by answering that phone, I am almost certain to be late going on my break. And that call could just as easily last an hour as it lasts six minutes because we don't know what the question is. So as any intraday analyst will tell you, we're always people going late and therefore coming back late. And then others go 20 seconds early and you just get this behavior thing that comes up and down. So letting them choose their times versus scheduling the times, if you're the right size, perhaps, and I'm lucky where we're doing it's not multi-site, the question is, why not? These are really great things to improve engagement. And over time, that will help in the busy periods, because if we kind of remove the lateness and the sickness and the other absence, that really will help. And I also think in terms of engagement, I've been thinking a lot about this recently. Do you think that we need to kind of move away from everybody works a five-day week of 37 and a half hours and maybe experiment with some other ideas like the ones that you've just suggested? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the five-day week is huge now in the news. Countries like Sweden are trying the four-day week. And if you actually think about it and you look at call patterns and you look at customer demand, these Lego bricks of exactly seven and a half hours on the phone can't be plugged in to the call curve perfectly. But for some people, their outside interests, what they like to do, they'd be perfectly happy to work a couple of long shifts if it meant that every Wednesday they could rejoin their mates from school and play indoor football, or they could go to a class or a hobby or go with their kids to something. And they're perfectly happy to do that because it feels that work is going around their work, their life and their life balance. Now, once we start saying what every shift must be seven and a half hours plus lunchtime and we have to be rigid, people then start, dare I say in the modern age, to resent. And they almost see the schedule as being detrimental to their life and their life plans. 
And everything you read now is about work-life balance and mental health and bringing in. And my experience, and my experience being back on the front line in the last couple of months, is very much talk to people, explain to people, let them understand why we're putting schedules together in such a way, but also understand what's important to them in their life and see how much of that can be built in. Maybe you can't give them every Wednesday night off, but you could give them three out of four or two out of four, and suddenly they're getting better than they they had. So when somebody comes and asks for something, I'm always going, try not to say no, try to understand. And maybe they don't need a day off. Maybe they need a few hours off, but they feel the only way to get it is to ask for the day. Suddenly, when you do need help, staff feel like they owe you something. They feel like they want to pay you back and you're more likely to say yes. So for me now, thinking about what makes a good planner, even if it's numbers-based, even if they have to be comfortable using numbers and building stuff up, what I actually think is empathy and communication skills are now on a par with that because customer demand is changing. It's going very different to what we would have seen 15, 20 years ago. And now we have to match a workforce especially with Generation Z coming out, baby boomers and things like that, who don't want the 9-5 or the 12-8 or the rigidity. They want to enjoy life and there is a happy medium. So as you say, employee engagement, planners speaking to agents, listening to agents, not necessarily saying yes, but trying to understand the big picture is probably scheduling of the future. I think this kind of reminds me of, I saw a presentation of yours once where another tip that you suggested was asking advisors if there was one time period in the week that they would like to have off, maybe like a couple of hours on a Wednesday or a couple of hours on a Tuesday where maybe their child has to be picked up early from school or they have to, their favorite TV program is on. Is this something else that you would recommend to contact centers? I think it doesn't hurt. And I think it's one of the biggest things we don't look at. You know, we get people to sign contracts, often 24-7 contracts, even if we're not open seven days a week, 24 hours a day. But we try to bring this, you will work when we tell you to work. But when you ask, why would people leave? They'll leave because of working conditions. They'll leave often just because they feel, I can have a better work-life balance elsewhere. But when you drill down and speak to people, there's often one important thing, something that's dear to their heart. As you say, whether it's a TV show, whether it's the chance to play indoor football, whether it's to go with their child to a hobby that the child does, swimming class or whatever that might be. Maybe they've got elderly parents and by helping them one morning a week by taking them into town to do the shopping. That gives them that they feel the company values them. And if you think about it, scheduling dozens, hundreds of people, there's so many shift patterns out there a bit of accommodation in there. might be a bit awkward. It might be a little bit more, but with our workforce management systems and the ability to set up rules, it's not going to compromise your coverage as long as you're not giving everybody the shift they want to DIY themselves. So that if I could give you a block of two to three hours once a week that we will never schedule you, or at least we won't schedule you without having a discussion as a one-off. Again, you build that rapport you build that sense of belonging to the company probably extend somebody's life at the company by a few months at least if not years 
And when you do need something from people, they're more likely to say yes because they feel the company's looking after them. And it probably leads on to attrition and things like that and the cost of hiring people that it's not just about absence, it's about keeping people that little bit longer. Call center agent, three to four years may be a decent lifespan with a company. But if you could keep someone six months longer before they get that itchy feet, the savings as well to the business is actually so potentially high, you might actually get a higher budget for more staff, which in turn will make, put more pressure and people likely to stay longer as well. Yeah, this is a really uh, great topic. I love kind of the, uh, that more and more contact centers are appreciating the link between WFM and employee engagement now. And I just kind of maybe want to move on a bit more to what people would expect from a podcast about handling busy periods. And I want to talk a little bit about the importance of knowing when it's key to make important changes. So a key skill as a resource planner is knowing when to hold your nerve when things get really busy. And do you think there's a lot of danger in the kind of intraday management in making knee-jerk decisions? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing, Charlie, that you can do is move the problem. So we come in and we see a queue and we go and we do something like move lunches or move breaks. Well, the lunch and the break don't go away. So you can actually end up overstaffed, have people then a little bit quieter than expected sitting around. And then at some point in the day, you end up in a scenario where you've got a backlog of breaks and lunches and they have to happen anyway. Similarly with trainings, similarly with coachings and one-to-ones, it's the easiest thing in the world just to say, let's cancel it. Let's do it another day. But then you get to the 27th, 28th, 29th of the month and a team manager's bonus depends on these things happening. And for some reason, our customers have decided it's a perfect time to call and we then end up with a complete disaster of a day. And I'm a great believer sometimes in going, hang on, did we forecast it to get a little bit busier for the next 15 minutes? And if we did, will it rectify itself in the next 15 minutes? And if the answer to both of those is yes, then why jump up and down? Why not go, let's just wait a minute. Let's wait 10 minutes. Let's think what we're going to do and just wait to see if it's a very short spike or if it's a real trend. And the reality is, especially a senior ops manager or a senior manager comes in, looks at a wall board, looks at a screen, sees 10 customers queuing and wants to know what you're doing. I just love being able to say, give me five minutes. And then they look and say, it's gone. And you go, yeah, I knew, I felt it was going. We see this every day at this time. We don't need to jump up and down because it's part of the plan. We'll never have customers phone exactly when our agents are available. There'll always be queues, sometimes bigger, sometimes smaller. I suppose it's a little bit if you're going up the motorway and you have a bit of a backlog, do you go off and try to work around it or do you just wait and see when does it become a big problem or does it clear and you'll still get there on time? We've got to hold our nerve and go, yeah, sometimes we have to intervene. Sometimes we just need to give it a little bit more time and see what's happening. Yeah, I really liked your idea of kind of looking 15 minutes further ahead in the forecast and asking yourself, will the situation rectify itself within the next 15 minutes? I think that's a really good point there. And one other thing that I kind of wanted to talk about in this point was that because the nature of call arrivals are so spiky and the more and more experience we get in kind of 
intraday management, the easier it will be for us to kind of make those knee-jerk decisions. But I think having standard operating procedures next to you can be really helpful to get through those busy periods, particularly when you're kind of more of a new person within resource management. So what's kind of your advice for putting guidelines like this together? Yeah, real-time hasn't always been my area of expertise in the past, although in the last couple of years I've been doing it a bit more and more. And what you say is that 80% of the issues that come up happen are the same, maybe 20% of the solutions, the old 80-20 rule. So that's always the same things happening. And the idea is the easiest way to get buy-in is to agree it long before it happens. So some people call it more of a playbook scenario where you set a bunch of scenarios saying, if this queue goes a bit greater than this number of customers waiting, but this queue has less than this, then move people. If this queue goes beyond this and it stays there for greater than an hour, then look at offline activities and what can be postponed. Uh, Never say cancelled. Always it's postponed. And you start to come up with a bunch of rules that you know have worked in the past because actually the issue is maybe not that the planners know or the planners don't. It's what if the planners aren't always there or the planning managers in a meeting. It's about having the faith that when we get into certain situations, we know that anyone from team leaders and beyond will take the same action and won't try to create new solutions. Let's use what's worked in the past. And probably the best way I can explain this is I've often asked when I've done workshops is, who is the resource planning function here, not who's the resource planning team? And the resource planning function is probably everyone, team leaders, ops managers, planners, and even site director or whatever, because every decision we make has an impact on service. It might be negligible, it could be big. So somebody decides to take 10 people off for a 15-minute huddle and keeps them there for an hour. We know that's going to have a huge impact on service. Other times you need to chat to someone for five minutes and we know it'll have negligible or we hope it'll have negligible. So what you think about with standard operating practices is almost if the planners all went off sick tomorrow, could others in the business use this set of rules to do exactly the same things because they're clear and they sum up 80% of the scenarios that are going to happen on the day? There's always going to be something weird. There's always going to be something different. Like there's very few of us know what's going to happen the morning after Brexit, if it ever happens. You know, how do you write a standard operating practice for that? Because we don't know what the consequences are. But we know, like where I am at the moment, the first working day of the month when direct debits go out and or don't go out, depending on IT systems and banks, that we'll have a different call pattern to a week later. And therefore, we have a different set of actions and a different set of interventions which start in advance, like no training, no coachings, no one-to-ones, help from other departments on standby that we can invoke if, if we get busy. As the month goes on, we have more offline activity, so we have a different suite of options available. And it's more about being able to set something which says on these days it's option A or list A, on these days, it's lists B, C, and D. But if I'm not there, or my intraday person's on lunch and there's nobody covering, 
we still know it's going to happen because whoever covers or is on duty is able to do it. Yeah, I think that's a really uh, interesting point, having a suite of options, as you say, for different days, because obviously different days don't necessarily mean the same thing in the forecasting world. So I think that's really interesting. And alongside creating uh, standard operating procedures, what other tips would you have for intraday management during periods of unexpectedly high contact volumes? I think one of the key things is being able to tell the story whether that's listening to some calls to understand where they're coming from or speaking to the frontline staff and just saying, what are people calling about today? Because it's very easy for planners and for intraday analysts to get focused on the numbers. But numbers only tell half the story. They tell us there was contact. They don't answer that question of why was there contact. They don't tell us, you know, if, for example, I'm working in mobile phones and masts go down in London, we're going to have a different set of calls than if a mast goes down on an island off the coast of Scotland. But they're both outages, so every outage doesn't have the same impact. If it's a billing issue, for example, a bunch of bills went out and they've got an incorrect number, it's only if we can get the root cause can we actually look ahead, maybe write standard operating practices, but also feedback. The other thing that sometimes needs to come in is when you say enough's enough and there's not much, moving's not going to fix the problem. We just have to see it out. So almost standard operating procedures is good for short length changes in volume, either positive or negative. I think sometimes you just can go, have we just misforecast for today? And we should have known that would be 20, 30% higher. Well, that point, what are you chasing? Because we're back to what I said earlier about moving the problem. You can move breaks and lunches, but the staff still need to get them. So sometimes you need to have the confidence just to say, guys, we've got it wrong wherever we got it wrong happens to be. And let's not mess people about. Let's not move people between queues. Let's not cancel activities because the reality is the psychological does the company care about me when they're moving my one-to-one for the third time? Well, that probably says, no, they don't really. Because if they move it three times, they're more worried about results and performance perhaps than individuals. And could that lead that person to move on? I'm not saying it wouldn't ever happen, but it is a question. But sometimes you have to just go, enough's enough. And let's just brave out the storm, It'll, You know, answer what we can. Don't get worried about targets. Just let's get to these customers and help them. Yeah, there's lots of great points there. And I'm sure we could talk for hours and hours about a lot of the points that you made there and other things as well, such as how we multi-skill advisors and how we can increase communication between the WFM team and the and advisors to help in busy periods. But I think that's about all we've got time for. So for all our listeners out there, where can I hear a bit more from you? Perhaps on LinkedIn or somewhere like that? Yeah, I'm LinkedIn. I mean, obviously, I think I've had a few articles published on your website. So there's a little bit on there, which is great. And also at ccplanning.net, where I wouldn't say it's the most active blog, but I'm trying to post a few little hints and tips every month, just with some of the things I'm coming across and maybe challenge thinking about, is the way we've done things the way we need to do it in the future? So little things about, you know, I've just wrote one ready to be published on, you know, this whole scheduled breaks or unscheduled breaks, because it's made me think, 
if it makes me think, maybe others need to go back, think it through themselves and work out what could be right for their own centre. That's all for this episode. Thank you to John Casey for joining us today. Just one last point before we go. John mentioned at the end of our conversation that he frequently helps to write articles for Call Centre Helper. In the description below, you can find a link to his most recent article entitled Shift Planning, How to Increase Contact Centre Efficiency and Engagement. We hope that you, like this podcast, enjoy it. This episode of the Contact Centre Podcast is sponsored by Genesis. Genesis is the global leader in omni-channel customer experience and contact center solutions. More than 11,000 companies in over 100 countries trust the Genesis customer experience platform to help them connect effortlessly with consumers across any channel, voice, text, web chat, and social. If you would like to see a demonstration of the Genesis Pure Cloud contact center platform, visit callcenterhelper.com forward slash demo. Next week on the Contact Centre podcast, we'll be looking at the topic of getting more from your emails and chats with Leslie O'Flaverhan, an enthusiastic professional writing trainer and coach. The Contact Centre podcast is produced by Call Centre Helper, the leading contact centre magazine. You can subscribe to our podcasts or give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify. You can also access our entire range of podcasts through the Call Centre Helper website by visiting callcenterhelper.com forward slash podcasts. Thanks again for listening to the entirety of our podcast. Your support means a lot to us as we want to keep the success of this podcast going. And to stay successful, we're always looking to improve. So we have created a simple five-question survey. This survey will help us to better tailor our content to you, our loyal listeners. Also, by filling in the survey, you might just win a bottle of champagne or a box of chocolates. All you have to do is click on the link in the description box below. Thanks again for listening, and as ever, stay tuned. Thank <laughs> you.